Hello and welcome to What If. I'm Kyle, your host for this on What the Fiction, uh, produced and directed, and that intro once again created by Marie Claire Gould, who is under the weather and doing meetings today and is unable to join us. So it's me here, all alone, to talk to you about one of my excite. What do you mean I'm here? Oh, well, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce to you in his in his debut appearance, none other than cool guy Will Gould. You just stole my <laughs> sunglasses thing. Why did I bring sunglasses and a fidget spinner to an alternate reality? An alternate reality talk show? Yeah. I have no idea. I, well, I cannot wait to talk to you about this show. And I think you're going to have some really deep and interesting insight to present to us as we talk about what if T'Challa was a Star-Lord. It's such an interesting title all on its own because it's a Star-Lord. It's not the Star-Lord or just Star-Lord. So apparently there are other Star-Lords out there possibly in this particular universe. And also they name him and it's not Black Panther was a Star-Lord. Yeah. So I'm really interested in who came up with this idea and this concept because they seem so juxtaposed together. Now, what does juxtaposed mean, Will? It means when you take two things that are extremely dissimilar and you smoosh them together, like mashed potatoes and peas. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, so we can ask the people in chat what else they think is a great juxtaposition because honestly, at the end of the day, T'Challa as Star-Lord is an incredible juxtaposition that brings to light a whole bunch of interesting things that are set in the galactic element of the MCU. Well, at least in the other hand, the world doesn't end. <laughs> That's very true. At least on the one hand, the world doesn't end. So let's dig into it, shall we? Let's get into the talk about what is the Black Panther, T'Challa, as our Star-Lord. And so we push the buttons, which is the first time for me. I have never done this. Yeah. I push this button and we start with, and I like to comment on the similarities that we get. So we get Black Panther, we get T'Challa. He's a digital version of T'Challa. And throughout the entire show, he generally has a much different attire than our Peter Quill has, right? He wears a jacket. He has kind of that costume. He does have the helmet and the rocket boots. They're not boots, more like just ankle bracelet rocket launchers. Yeah, it's kind of like an attachment to your shoes. Yeah. And he's definitely much more stylish and presentable than Star-Lord Peter Quill ever was, hey? Yeah. And I think that there's some reasons for that, but... That meant that you can't really draw a lot of parallels in the costumes that they wore in the same way that you could draw parallels to Captain Carter and Captain America. Their, their costumes were very similar in many ways. However, the costuming here, quite a bit different. Mm -hmm. Then we don't have many Black Panther elements to this. We have a Wakandan ship at one point, which is really, really true to the Wakandan ships we see yeah. in Black Panther. I, I definitely see that. 
But then when I started looking for commonalities between the shots, the art, the cinematography in the background, between this and basically both Guardians of the Galaxy movies, anything shot in space, the nowhere stuff, even the collector's um, location, yeah. all of that was very differently laid out than was in Captain Carter. Yes, Captain Carter. I almost always get it wrong. So this is really cool. Uh, so, But what we do get is common, commonality is our opening shot. So what you see here on the screen uh, to one side of me here, you see the opening shot down below is of T'Challa moving forward towards uh, capturing the reality stone. Reality stone? Is no, the purple one the reality the... stone? It's the power stone. The power stone. See, this is why you're here. And then above is the opening shot from Guardians of the Galaxy. We get the same pose, same walkthrough. We, it's cut for time. Guardians of the Galaxy is a slow moving scenes with lots of action. And we get great soundtrack, almost uh, video, music video style movement through scenes. We don't get that music at all in this episode. There's only music at the very, very end. Yeah. There's like, since um, Guardians of the Galaxy was like a musical, there was music everywhere. It really was like a musical. In fact, Mommy owns the soundtrack, bought the soundtrack, and we listened to the soundtrack every single night for about three months while we did the dishes or while something else was going on. That soundtrack was playing in our house and we don't listen to a lot of music. So that says both a lot of good things about Guardians of the Galaxy in Marie Claire's eyes, but also the quality of the soundtrack. I mean, I can account like three songs as my favorite song. Yes. So here we go, our opening scene, and then the very next scene, we're moving forward here by pushing this button, we get the only other really close reference to the two, where we get Peter Quill's red eyes as he walks through this corridor after opening the door and the same thing we get and it's almost the same I'm, I'm pointing but you can't see me right now on either side the rubble the ruin behind their hand on their hip and the gl glow from T'Challa yeah. is purple and the glow from Peter Quill is red and we see these are the, this is the key key element the difference between these two characters is Wakanda forever that purple that is always overlaid with Black Panther's costuming in the movies that he's been in and we get that red glow that is constant from Peter Quill yeah cool there was no dancing no smooth moves he had a job to do and he was set to do it he tried to get Thanos and Nebula into therapy. <laughs> We're, you're getting ahead of us here. So let's talk about that a little bit. And just from, like, it was the same right up to this moment uh, that we get to almost here. And I think that's my next slide. No. Um, so let's continue to talk about the differences between Peter Quill and T'Challa. And it all starts with Peter. We, sh we should have a recap here of what happened to Peter Quill. Peter Quill doesn't know his dad right? Mm -hmm. He grows up in a small town. His mom works at the Dairy Queen. And what's wrong with his mom? Uh, I think she's dying. She's dying. And in fact, in the opening minutes of the movie, she dies. 
and he runs out into the woods and he's captured by Yondu, right? Mm -hmm. So Peter Quill doesn't ever really have an opportunity to grieve for his mom. He doesn't have really solid relationships with people because the only people he's connected to are the Ravagers, his family. He doesn't get to grieve his mom. There's nobody waiting for him back home. He has very little of the trappings of Earth, but all of those things that he is able to find and grab hold of mean a lot to him because yeah. he's the only Terran there. Yeah. T'Challa, on the other hand, is his mom and dad still around? Yeah. Yes. Does he have a good, happy home life? Yeah. And when he goes off to space, is he going to run away from a problem? No. What is he doing? He's fighting them. He's he's fighting problems for sure, but he, he wants to be an explorer. They mention this a couple of times throughout here. So she wants to be... He wants to be an explorer and see the world, and Yondu sees that in him and relates to him. Whereas with Star-Lord, he saw Peter Quill's grief, and he related to Peter Quill with for that, because I think Yondu's had a pretty tough childhood mm -hmm. himself. So he connects with both of these kids in the same way and rears them up the best way he can. Yondu definitely is a, is a dad looking for a son, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm so lucky. I got my... Are you more of a Peter Quill or more of a T'Challa? Neither. Oh, okay. You'd be your own Star-Lord. So everything from that moment is going to be completely different. In, and what's interesting is that when we look at last week's episode of Captain Carter, we see a very different scenario where so much of what happens in that in that 35 minutes harkens back to what happens in the the other movie in First Avenger, right? Yeah. So many things are similar, whereas pretty much everything in this episode is dissimilar, is skewed and different, and that's because our protagonist approaches problems from their background in very different ways and in ways that are so much better for the world. And it tells me just how much Peter Quill has to work through to be a hero. He, he, T'Challa has no problems with being a hero. He steps into that role right away as a leader, as a figurehead, as an authority. Yeah. He's been raised to that from the beginning. Peter Quill, he has not been raised in that way at all. And so you can see that just by the name of the ship. So do you know that, you know what the two names are in the ship? Do you want to talk about that? Uh, I think they're Mandela and Milano. Yeah, Milano. So Nelson Mandela is an African, his South African historical figure, very important because he believed in freedom of the people and he was willing to go to jail and he sat in jail for a very long time to bring about freedom and to resolve apartheid. Really important. And this is a person that our T'Challa idolizes and holds to high accord that he would name his ship after that. The Milano is actually named after Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss, a very beautiful young lady who is about the same age as Peter Quill that he really liked and so he named his ship after her. Cool. <laughs>
So just, just from this little tiny piece right here of the Mandela, the Milano, we get, and I tried so hard, everyone, I tried so hard to find a shot like this from Guardians of the Galaxy where you can see the name clearly on the ship. You can see Mandela writ large as it lifts up. You can't see that. That doesn't happen. It's not available anywhere on either of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, and I went through them pretty thoroughly. I think we should see it in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I don't even know if the Milano's still around because it gets destroyed so badly. Yeah. I mean, they put it back together, but either way. So here we are, and we've got two different guys. And of course, Guardians of the Galaxy is seen through Peter Quill's eyes. And I would, I would, there is a, a realm of thought that could say that this episode is viewed through T'Challa's eyes. We, yeah. we get largely T'Challa. But in the same breath, I kind of want to suggest that it's not just T'Challa. That I think we have another person that we, the audience, get to view the movie through. And that is Koroth. Now, Koroth is this gentleman here. And I was like, which is your favorite Koroth, Will? We've got the what if Koroth on the left. We've got our Guardians of the Galaxy Koroth on the, in the middle. And those are literally the same two moments where they're accosting Star-Lord there. And then we've got Koroth on the right when he's part of Star Force working in Captain Marvel. Which one's your favorite of the Koroths? Koroth on the left the core the core off from this episode yeah and i gotta give it to jimon hansu who is the voice actor for this episode as well that as much as chadwick boseman lends so much authenticity believably and execution to this role to the point where the director and the writer both of them had just rave reviews to speak to him i think jimon hansu sells this so believably as you know because what he does in this episode, um, our Korath character, is set the precedent by which we accept and recognize that Star-Lord T'Challa yeah. is a hero. That he is important and he has done amazing big things in ways that our Peter Quill, we assume maybe he's done a few things, but he's not well known. Korath knows who T'Challa as Star-Lord is. He... He, um, in the show, he fanboys that over his favorite moments of what happened. And I have to admit, this moment with Koroth is my favorite moment of all. I, I couldn't laugh out loud because Marie Claire was sitting next to me on a call at work where she was talking. And so I literally was breathe laughing and fell out of my chair. It was so enjoyable. I was there and I was watching you. <laughs> it was funniest thing i'd seen on a television show in forever because we had our expectations set for this is what it's going to be and how is it going to change from here no no things had already changed folks and this is how they showed that and i just could not stop laughing throughout the entirety of the fight that they had the way even when he gets taken out by punching the laser beam he has this half smile on his face and says so star lord and he goes down yeah just a delight and it set my expectations and brought that joy to life for the entirety of the episode because once again 
this is a different Star-Lord. This is a man who is a strong leader, capable, skilled, and comes from a position of power and respect. Ugh. And then he picks Korath up and takes him with him, which I thought was a absolutely brilliant storytelling moment because it gave us this fanboy to follow for the rest of the show that every time Korath was excited about something and enjoying something that meant we were allowed and authorized to enjoy and laugh as well right yep I'm going to talk about another Korath thing later inside this show. Sure. Well, you can talk about that in a moment here, because I'm going to tell you a little bit about who Korath the Pursuer is. So Korath the Pursuer was only created in 1992. He's a very new character, if you think about it, from the per concept and the perspective of the Marvel Universe. He was created by an individual that I've talked about on the show before, the creator of U.S. Agent, uh, Mark Gruenwald. Mark Grunwald sadly passed away in 1996, so we don't know what else he had prepared for Korath, but Mark Grunwald wrote Captain America for a full decade and is credited as one of the essential writers of Captain America and gave him core pieces of his personality and character. That's Pog. All right. Mark Grunwald passed away of a heart of heart disease uh, rather suddenly and he was known as a very big prankster and jokester in the office so when word of his passing hit the office at marvel a lot of people didn't believe it and thought they were just getting pranked by mark which i have to admit as a prankster myself, I kind of recognize there is a line possibly that I don't want to cross in joking around and whatnot because rumor or word of my death should never cause someone to feel like it's just a prank. Okay, so that's terribly sad and horribly depressing. But nonetheless, Korath is really different in the comic books. He has a helmet. He's weird pink colored. He's always chasing people. He's got these stun batons. And I think Jimon Honsu has taken this character and made him his own and very unique. And I am just delighted to see more Korath in the future, especially since we've gotten him in two different franchises already. I cannot wait for him to pop up in something else. Hopefully with a bit of this what if appreciation for life that he seems to have in the what if episode. We will call it the what if phenomenon. So what is it that you wanted to talk about Korath? Uh, it, I think we need to move on to a different scene for me to talk about it. Okay, what scene do you need to move on to talk to about Korath? Genocide. Gen oh, okay. Genocide. All right, well, we can move forward in the PowerPoint if you think that it's necessary and you find, find time to bring up what you want to talk about Korath yeah. in a bit, though, okay? Because he's very important to this episode. It's not about Korath and genocide. Right. So really early on, there is a reference made by Yondu that calls uh, T'Challa Robin Leach. You don't know who Robin Leach is, and I'm thinking maybe the people in chat don't know who Robin Leach is either. 
They mean to call him Robin Hood, of which I think you know who Robin Hood is, right? Yeah, because I think that's a, a common Western trope that everyone is aware of. Now, I am a little disappointed that they use Robin Hood. T'Challa probably would use somebody other than Robin Hood, which is a very Western character, a Western figure, and a Western trope. It still fits, and we know the audience we're talking to. I just... It, it would have been neat to see something that's a bit more Wakandan or a bit more relatable from a perspective of T'Challa. Nevertheless, we get it. It's just, it's an, and it's an Earth thing, but it's not the same. So Robin Leach is not Robin Hood. Robin Leach was the host of Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, a TV show in the 80s that would go through the houses and the cars and the way people who are extremely wealthy would live. Yeah. Something that you would find on Netflix or whatnot. And there's all these other ones that are spinoffs and whatnot. But Robin Leach has this really nice voice with this interesting and engaging accent. I did not look up where he's from, but he lent this degree of authenticity and highfalutedness, which is not really a word, to the whole endeavor. And so when he says you're being, you know, you want to act like Robin Leach, it comes across as like you are going to, you know, become rich and powerful and collect things and have lots of money and then tour people around, which is very different from Robin Hood. And I've tied this and connected it to this massive quote that I don't, I don't think a cartoon other than maybe like the ends of certain He-Mans and Transformers when I was a kid where they had the mo the motto at the end where it's like, play smart and treat people fairly. Yeah. I don't think a cartoon has had such an impactful single sentence message as this one had where T'Challa says, no treasure is worth as much as the good that can be done with it. That is deep. How, what do you take away from that, Will? Is that something you can add to your own life to make not only your life, but the lives of well, people around you better? Well, let's just say something. Korok says, um, gives, takes from the rich, gives to the poor. Yes, which is exactly a Robin Hood mandate, mantra. But to add to that to say, no treasure is, is worth as much as the good that can be done with it, talks a lot about hoarding and the negative qualities of capitalism we've seen over the last 20, 30 years as trickle-down economics has shown to not work, that when you pass riches up to those that hoard them, they do not trickle it down. It does not show any, any beneficial element to society around you. T'Challa's a prince. T'Challa is incredibly wealthy and has, is sitting on a huge reserve of vibranium. And in the movie, Black Panther, one of his underlying goals in that movie is... I don't remember. ...to go out into the world and make the world a better place. Wakanda cannot sit behind its borders while everyone else suffers. And he really wants to make that improvement. He talks about it a great deal, but he's reticent to do it because he hasn't had the opportunity to do it. And there's a lot of fear. And it takes Killmonger to show him mm -hmm. the way. With his death, that yes, you know what? He's right. And my initial thinking on the matter was right as well. And I should have acted on it. I should have done these things. I did. I literally did not know when Black Panther ended. <coughs> for some 
reason Black Panther had two villains, and I thought there was only one, and... Really? Because I fell asleep halfway through it. Well, you did in the theater, but then we watched Black Panther just recently. And I was like, wait, what? This is the actual story? (laughs) This is weird. And so when you were talking about Robin Hood with your friends, and you're like, Robin Hood, he steals from the rich and he gives to the poor. Why is that? I never do that. I know, but if you're going to, right? Like, if you're going to play Robin Hood and you're Prince John, like, why am I stealing from the rich and giving to the poor? Why am I doing that? It's because the rich are hoarding their wealth and making the world around them poorer for everyone else. And he, and T'Challa says it clearly and succinctly, and I will say it again, that no treasure is worth as much as the good that can be done with it. That if you have amassed wealth, there is no purpose to those billions of dollars sitting in a bank account doing nothing except making you more money. They will do so much better by putting them back into society and building things. And I was reading and listening to another another podcaster or an article the other day that said, what happened in the last 20 years where our wealthy, rich elite are no longer interested in creating museums and opera houses and established places of fine art with and universities with their names on them? Why isn't there a Bill Gates University? Why isn't Gates University a thing? Why isn't Elon Musk the oh, have this beautiful, prestigious museum where they where rich elite would spend their money to build these beautiful things like Carnegie Hall? We don't have these things because they don't they seem to have this competition element that's been added into their largesse that what matters is the zeros behind their name, not what they've done with the zeros. And I'm going to harp on this a bunch because this episode is entirely about that and about what happens if good people are in charge and leading. And unfortunately, you don't have Marie Claire to cut in with other awesome, interesting bits. You get Will, and he's more than content to let me rant and ramble, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, so let's move on from this to the next slide because we get to meet our new guardians. And they are not the guardians you were expecting. (laughs) First, Yondu's there and Yondu's first mate is there. I didn't get a picture of the first mate. I can't even remember his name. So if you remember the name of the first mate in chat, throw it up there so I can talk about it. Um, We also get number three on the whole entire group. And that's Taserface. And if you'll recall, Taserface conducts a massive mutiny in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and is brutally killed along with like every other Ravager on the show. Yeah. Right then and there. But Taserface is one of our principal guardians, people working with Star-Lord. And then we meet... Thanos. What did you think of that? I was like, wait, what? And then, and then, uh, Korok... Korath? Korath said, um, uh... Weren't you trying to obliterate half of the planet, Mr. Captain Captain Genocide? (laughs) Commander Genocide? Captain Genocide? It is Captain. Wow. I was floored in that moment when Thanos appears on screen dressed humbly like a Ravager farmer. And they constantly mention his desire to farm. And they use him as not only comic relief, but an interesting segue to say that all it takes is the right argument at the right time to sway someone's opinion on something and to change someone's outlook on how they would pursue their objective before them. 
And so I want to talk a little bit about Thanos Demption because I never would have anticipated or expected them to redeem Thanos in a what if. Yeah, I wouldn't expect expect it too i would expect like maybe a what if about thanos being a good guy now and and like maybe iron man is the bad guy i i mean i I could see that and maybe that'll happen but we got it right here he was going to enact his plan and then t'challa came and had a chat with him and showed him a better way. And they speak to that directly in this episode. And I was just floored that they would do that because Marvel is basically saying redemption's not off the table for anyone. Thanos may be gone in the world that we are we're in now and he was he was killed, but he could have been redeemed because even though he'd done this terrible thing or he was willing to do this terrible thing, that doesn't mean that he wasn't worthy of having chosen a different path or that he couldn't choose a different path. Holy moly. He could even be worthy of Mjolnir. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Why not, right? Um, And that tells me one key thing here that Star Wars never seems to get right. And that is, if you did a what... Basically, the redemption of Thanos, as I was telling Marie Claire, was like you went on to Naboo and you had Jar Jar Binks bump into Senator Palpatine just before he had the rise to Senator when he's on his, he's starting down his dark path. And Jar Jar Binks bumps into him and says, how about a different way? And Senator Palpatine goes, oh, and then we got an episode about how Senator Palpatine brought hope and peace and prosperity to the galaxy through non-violent, non-destructive means. And now everything is happy, sunshines, and rainbows. Star Wars would never do that. Star Wars is only interested in showing you how Palpatine can over and over and over again be the bad guy. They don't they don't want to show you Palpatine as the good guy. And here's Marvel in the second episode of What If showing us Thanos, the big bad from the entirety of the last phase. No, 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 he's a good guy. He's a good guy. <laughs> He's a good guy now. I, wow. Uh, so not only is this episode hilarious, a delight, constantly changing expectations for what I'm about to see, but then it's also giving me a redemption of a character I never expected and something to live by for the for the remainder of my days. Another thing that we'll talk about later is a world-ending threat. (laughs) Yes, which is imperative. Um, And so what's important, he's in the top left of the screen, bottom right of the screen. My favorite character, I would like to commission art of Femme Fatale Nebula from here on out. Robin, who was going to join us on the show, but is unfortunately suffering from the same cold that Marie Claire is. Robin doesn't like Femme Fatale Nebula's hair, I think Femme Fatale Nebula's hair is the most amazing thing to add to this character. And the way she walks, the way she struts, and the fact that she calls T'Challa Cha-Cha was a sheer delight the entire time through this entire episode. What did you think of Nebula? Uh, Nebula was good. I liked her hair. Um, it was weird that she called, um, T'Challa Chacha. <laughs> she also called Thanos Big Guy. Right. 
And and that was important to note that it's not everyone in the galaxy has forgiven Thanos because he has done terrible things. He has earned his redemption. And I think somebody was talking in the chat. Yeah, Jennifer Goldsmith said, hey, what we're looking at here is that his daughter hasn't forgiven him for the things that he's done. I think she wants to. And it's funny when um, T'Challa mentions that they should go to counseling. That was one of the lines you really liked. Have we gotten to that Korath line? Oh, we did, right, Captain yeah. Commander Genocide? Yeah. Okay. So T'Challa wants to get Nebula and Thanos into counseling, which or is therapy. just brilliant. I mean, it just speaks to how well he sees people and how well he's able to see what people need and what would make them better and help them and then give those things to them as he helps Nebula and he helps Thanos throughout this episode. And he's surrounded himself with kind of almost broken people and works to repair them and make them better. Just... And Marie Claire was telling me, she's like, we're two episodes in and we're already shown better versions of the heroes that we got in the first place. We were given a better Star-Lord and a better Captain Carter than Captain America was, which is just <laughs> hilarious. Um, I wonder what the next... I wonder what the actual big bad for this universe is if Thanos is not. Yeah, I wonder too. I think we might get a bit to that as we go forward, but I am interested in what's going to happen here. Um, now, uh, Jesse Garrett says he doesn't think that Gamora is his daughter in this verse. Uh, I think the, she actually is. Well, maybe not this particular universe, but in the what ifs, we've already been teased that there is a what if daughter of Gamora that's coming out. Um, she looks very similar to our normal Gamora. So I'm interested in seeing what happens in that episode to come. So um, do you have anything else you want to talk about with regards to the new Guardians? Uh, hmm. Favorite Guardian? Favorite new Guardian? Oh, it's Nebula. My favorite new Guardian is Koroks. Who? Whatever his name is. Oh, oh Korath. Korath. <laughs> Clorox. You're like having so much trouble with his name, hey? Okay, so here we are with our new guardians. What is going on with our old guardians, right? Like, I everybody's kind of hoping that throughout. Where is Rocket? Where is Groot? Will and I were talking about this earlier. The only one we get is Bartender Drax, which I have to admit was really a great moment, hey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't i didn't look so good in that picture um drax is perfect unfortunately this is not dean batista in dave batista in the role of drax here that's an unfortunate oversight on their part uh i think he really wanted to do it and bad th and things just happen um we're in the bar i believe that this bar is in a scene at the very beginning it's a cut scene basically with Gamora and Star-Lord. We get so much more of it with them hanging out and sitting there. And then Drax is the bartender that Black Panther happens to walk up to. And the reason Drax isn't a guardian of the galaxy is because... Um, Cha-Cha saved his galaxy. <laughs> Cha-Cha saved his, saved his wife and his daughter, yeah. right? And so now they're alive and well back on his planet and he doesn't have to a vengeance or a vendetta to serve out against Thanos. It didn't 
it didn't just take one day. It took six days, in fact. So this was yet another moment that I could not stop laughing quietly, because Marie Claire was still on that call, uh, quietly to myself and chortling away because it was just so, so light and breathtaking. And like, what's great about this episode is that yes, while the stakes seem high at times, everyone seems comfortable in each other's presence. And while there's conflict, it all seems like it's conflict that can easily be resolved. And everybody has quick, 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 pithy lines, much like in Guardians of the Galaxy. But Guardians of the Galaxy, the people working together, those Guardians, they were not friends yet. They were not family yet. They were still fighting and squabbling and not trusting each other. And so it's neat to see five people who inherently do not trust each other in the normal MCU come together in this regard. The thing is, um, there's probably not going to be a Loki what if, since we already kind of got our Loki what if for this show loki i'm gonna make this one big for you bud so star lord has made significant changes in the universe and the world around him and one of the big ones is that he was not on earth to help protect the earth and this is really important and relevant when the collector shows his arsenal to us and you were very quick to point out a couple of things about this captain america's shield Thor's hammer. And then the, the dagger of the King of the Dark Elves, which is just as just as huge. And then later we see Hela's helm, which is... So the Collector has basically run roughshod over the universe in a very different way than Thanos would by taking valuable, powerful, significant artifacts. If anyone knows what any of the other items here... I almost think that that's Loki's dagger to the right of... Thor's hammer, but I don't know what any of these other weapons are. I was kind of hoping for the Sword of Galador on there, but that's that's kind of a new X-Man thing that's happening. But I don't know any of these other weapons. Do you in chat? Like these things on the right, I just don't know what any of them are. Another another very sad thing that has ended up to our poor best friend Fortnite playing Korg. Oh, right, because what happened in in the in the show we get to see korg's arm used as a cestus um wow that's yeah that was pretty pretty dark and pretty sad i did like the fact that he was referred to as a chatty cronin <laughs> because he really is a chatty cronin um and yeah, the Collector's really different in this world. He is buff and strong and powerful. Why? Because he has to be. Because he is that leader. I mean, the Black Order follows the Collector. The Black Order does not follow Thanos. And so, while we're still here on this, some significant changes in the universe... Let's talk a little bit about the death count of this episode. And I will put a caveat on that. Death count in this episode is really important because there's a heck of a lot of death in Guardians of the Galaxy. People die all the time in Guardians of the Galaxy. And most of them are these things called necro soldiers and necros. And I don't know if those are dead people brought back to some semblance of life. They're only ever in armor the entire time. They almost never speak. In fact, they only say one line in this episode. So the majority of the death is from these necro soldiers. So how many do you think died in this episode, Will? About, uh, well, if we're counting every single last one. Yeah, just the necro soldiers. 
I think about either 20 or 120. <laughs> you were almost on either side of the number. It was 58. Most of this is due to Yondu and his whistling arrow. And the same in Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There's so much death and devastation. And also uh, Groot's a big hand on that in the movies too. Uh, but in this... It's primarily handled by Yondu's whistling arrow, which just destroys Necro soldiers everywhere. Um, but then there's four more. So the death count comes out at 62 because all four members that are in this in this show of the Black Order are all killed in this episode. Um, there's not that guy from Avengers Ultimate Alliance that we hate that used the reality stone. No, uh, well, no, Ebony Maw was in it, Proxima Midnight, um, the giant guy with the hammer whose name I've forgotten, and then the other guy that I always mistake as as uh, Ebony Maw is also killed. So the four members of the Black Order that we see in this episode are all killed as well, How putting our death there? count at 62. There's still... There's still... Two, there's still three left. There were others that were not involved and maybe they weren't there. I don't, or they were off doing other missions and whatnot. But the four that we see are killed in this episode. Maybe those three um, work for the Ravengers or, or still work for Thanos and they're off doing a mission. Yeah, maybe. May, may very well be. So moving on. Now, the cool thing about this episode is it talks about the Embers of Genesis, which is not something that has ever been brought up in Marvel Comics in the past. I did some significant Google searching, which is not research, just so people are clear. I mean, that's a big thing nowadays. I did, uh, I, I did like, uh, an entire, I, I even looked on the 26th page. <laughs> really? There was 26 pages yes. for Embers of Genesis? Yes. Wow, I did not get that many pages. Most of them were related to this very episode. There is no Embers of Genesis at all in here. Well, the first page I got was about something else, not right. about the what if. <laughs> and so I did read an article that that spoke to the fact that potentially, perhaps, these Embers of Genesis are crumbled pieces of the time stone and what is being done when they're being consumed is that the growth of whatever is in there is being accelerated um into into life very interesting take i don't know it is kind of time stone colored and there is the potentiality of it because i think that they were talking about the gardener being the keeper of the time stone in marvel comics in the past but this is so we're talking two or three steps of logic to get from the gardener to the embers of Genesis. So I don't, I don't necessarily want to call it a, um, one of the infinity stones, but maybe, maybe the embers of Genesis are going to be important in Dr. Strange, um, multiverse of madness. Maybe I kind of don't think so, but I will say they are super cool. I love the name and kudos to the writer, Matthew Chauncey, who is on the writer's team, but he is specifically the head writer of this episode for this. And I have to, you know, admit Brian Andrew Andrews, who is the director of what I think to be all of the episodes that are in what if and Matthew Chauncey in this and AC Bradley, all of them have worked so well together. They have given us stuff to think about and delight in at every single step along the way. Like, it feels like every single word that has been talked about, you're like, wait, 
Let me write that down. Exactly. So Matthew Chauncey comes to us by way of Three Below, where he worked with AC Bradley. So doubtlessly, they work well together and they've, they've had a great rapport in Three Below because uh, it, it won an Emmy uh, for her. And then Brian Andrews, who we didn't talk about last time, Brian Andrews got his start as a storyboard artist on, you're not going to believe this, 12 of the most recent or so of the MCU movies, starting with Iron Man 2. He was a storyboard artist for pretty much like both Guardians of the Galaxies, Thor 2, Iron Man 3, The Avengers, Avengers 2, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, um, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, and Ant-Man. Just jumps the Spider-Man movies there. Jumps the Spider-Man movies, didn't do Ant-Man 2. There's a whole bunch of others that he didn't do. But at the same time, like he was a linchpin storyboard artist, which means that a lot of the vision that he's putting into the move into those movies and, and the directors are asking for are being drawn out by him. So he has probably what is a great eye for the specific details. And because he was involved in all those movies, I don't doubt he still has storyboards that he can pull from those movies to insert as special scenes, which is why we're getting these callbacks like we did at the beginning of this. It's because the director had a direct hand in those in those movies. I, I didn't even realize it until I started looking into it today to see where this was coming from and why. And it's all because Brian Andrews was a principal storyboard artist for the MCU movies for the last, two, what, 15 years? So there you go. Uh, let's hope he storyboards my the one, the one movie that I'm hoping comes out on the actual date this year and doesn't get delayed by COVID anymore. Yes. So there are these characters in the Marvel comic universe that are called elders. Not and that I one. didn't really know about these elders, um, but we've changed to the new PowerPoint here, the new slide. There's these two characters that are elders and we shocked and appalled Will and Robin when I found this out and Marie Claire already knew it because, you know, Marie Claire knows things. But I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that the Collector and the Grandmaster are brothers in the comic universe? Well, it sure seems like possibly they are still connected to each other in the MCU. They Maybe look not so just the alike. What if, because they look so alike. They have similar flourishes, similar like artistry on their faces. And they talk similar. They do speak very similarly too. And I they, mean, you could put that up to the actors that are portraying them. And they also, for one reason that I want to talk about, is they, they both of them have collections. <laughs> Yes, one of them likes to pit his collection in fights to the death against each other, and the other one just likes to admire him them on the wall. But I think there's a direct connection and relevancy here, because at the end of What If, or not quite the end, because there's uh, two more scenes to go, uh, what we the, ma the massive climax when uh, uh, Carolina... Carolina? Is that her name? Kalina? Kalina takes the gauntlet and leaves him to the... Uh, attack of all of his um, keepsakes. We get the same thing at the tail end of Thor Ragnarok with the Grandmaster being beset upon by the people that he's been pitting to fight to the death for howsoever long. And it is neat to see the connection between these two scenes 
I don't know if it's deliberate, but at the same time, these two men get their comeuppance. I think her name is Katrina. Katrina? Is, yeah, I didn't get a, grab a picture of her, but she pulls the same sort of role uh, for the collector in this. And yes, now I really want to see the two of them in a scene together. I really, really do, because they're both scenery-chewing, intense actors. And I would like to know what that would be like being on the wings of a set that has the two of them acting on it so there we go this is um we're moving on from that i just thought really interesting to point out someone in the chat just said the grandmaster also has a daughter well in the comic universe yes he doesn't have a daughter in the mcu that we're aware of so now we get to my favorite moment they go back right uh now that t'challa has learned that his mom, that Yandu has lied to him much the same way that Peter Quill learned that Yandu had lied to him for very similar selfish reasons. You lied to me. Exactly. They go back and T'Challa stands up for Yandu because, yeah, at the end of the day, his decision to leave Earth and go be an explorer and not really dig into his missing family and lost kin is directly tied to his desire to be an explorer. And he admits to that. And he's like, you know, at the same time, I was willing to do it. So it's on me just as much as it is on Yandu. Maybe not to my dad. I don't want my dad to hate my father. I don't want my father to hate my daddy, is how people have been saying it. There's one scene after this, one scene. And there is, and I'll leave that one for you to talk about. In this scene, what is really important is they've got Cosmo with them, which is really, really fun and interesting because he's such a cool character. Um, Cosmo is great friends with Thanos, which I mean, when a dog likes someone, how how can we not like that dog is showing us that Thanos is worthy of affection if even the dog likes him, right? He's not growling and got his hackles up. He's literally giving him licks and kisses and Thanos is debating with oh i forgot her name can somebody throw that up in the l chat there the name of the chief of the guards where she's like you know that sounds an awful lot like genocide and he says but it's random but it's random and it's efficient <laughs> and it's efficient and gamora no not gamora nebula throws her head back and says dad which tells us that they've had that dad. rapprochement why because they just saved each other's lives they've recognized the worthy inherent in each other about them with that fight against the black order where one saves the other and then the other returns the favor now they're sitting together and they have that familial moment where your dad says something thank you yes okoye uh thanks both gwendy and earth to star child um i don't think it was ao it was it was definitely the leader, but Lady B's got it in the second half. So Okoye is talking to Thanos. We get the dad moment, which I've heard from my daughter, from my child, so many times. The dad, because I've said something embarrassing to her, that I could not help but pause this moment right here as one of my highlight moments that I will not forget. This beautiful moment between Nebula. And Thanos, something I never thought I would have ever seen, ever. But they still need counseling. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, and to Jesse Garrett's point, I think it's coming. I think that they keep putting... I think Cosmo keeps falling on the, on the back order. Cosmo in the comics is a guardian of the galaxy. Cosmo is a telepathic Russian dog and is a delight. And 
he has a large part to play in the video game that we played. Um, Avengers Ultimate Alliance. Three, the Dark Order, or the Black Order, which now I realize why it's called the Black Order. Um, so that is a great video game that Will and I beat and super enjoyed, and Cosmo's a significant part in that. What? I just realized that the Black Order is a really racist name. Okay, because it's a color? No. I'm okay. If you take it from a different standpoint. Oh, okay. Do you want to talk about that, or is it just a recognition? Yeah, it's a recognition. Okay. Well, so we get everyone together. We get a quest. Oh, and, one, and once again, Yondu with his point of like, you can go anywhere and you're at home with anywhere you, you, anywhere you go, you make an impact. So what's important now is not where you go, but where do you want to be? And I think that in this modern day, Figuring that out is super relevant, too, because you, too, can go anywhere and probably fit in and make a home of it there. It's just where do you want to do that and what is the want behind it and then pursue it, right? <laughs> so many great, great things, great messages and motives happening in this episode. And then we're left at the end, which starts with chaos levels off the charts. Because? Because... Obviously, Peter Quill is working at a Dairy Queen, just like his mom is, and and his dad shows up and obliterates him, and he's like, who are you? Obliterates him? You think that happens? Yes. Oh, really? I mean, we don't get to see it. I think he eats him like all of his other what? child. You think he eats him? Is that what the glowing eyes are showing us? Is that he's going to eat his son, Peter? Because he eats all of the other child. That's true, he did. But he was looking for the spark in them, right? The root of the growth of ego within. And doesn't Peter have that? Yeah. Or is that something you develop? It's not something that's just inherent. He, I feel like he's just going to develop him or, like, shock him to be, like, get the glowing eyes like his father, then mm -hmm. kill him off. Mm-hmm. Well, we get the music of this episode of the Guardians of the Galaxy, the, what we've come to know of the music of Guardians of the Galaxy being these great 70s, 80s songs, hits that us in the modern day might not necessarily know so well. I mean, my parents listened to country music the entire time I was growing up, and that is not what Peter Quill listens to. I mean, you turn on a country song and I could probably sing along to it. Uh, that's how much we listened to it growing up. And I did not subject my children to that torture. Um, I but I do music. need to seek counseling in regards to it because country music um, lays waste to your soul. So And it sucks. <laughs> so we get the awesome grooving music that Peter was bequeathed by his mom, probably yeah. directly this time, as opposed to like it being locked <gasps> away and forgotten for forever by Yondu. Um, and then, so we get the music, which we have associated with Gardens of the Galaxy, but we should connect directly to Peter Quill from this point I'm on. I'm so excited for volume three. So, so we Me can too. get that VHS tape number three. <laughs> no, it's an audio cassette. <laughs> looks like a VHS. It, it does, I don't know. It? I'm not an old person. 
It doesn't have black. It has the black ribbon and the spinning things. I can see why you would yeah. compare the two together. That is hilarious. No, we get our epilogue here, which and even the watcher tells us that there is a problem to come. But that's a, a tale for another time as Ego meets Peter Quill. At least inside the Guardians of the Galaxy universe, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. And so that's where we're left with for this what if. What did you think of the episode overall? Now that we've gone through it and we can chat about it. I kind of like it. Yeah? It's kind of a fun, exciter episode. But it's not that Vision episode that I saw inside the um, the screenshot for the um, for what if that had like him having all the f five infinity stones on his chest and the one in his head. You didn't get to see the one in his head, but... Well, we always have. It's the mind stone. So there is an image of what if that is on the main display of Disney Plus that has vision with this large lance-like artifact wearing this impressive suit of armor and he has all five infinity infinity stones in his chest and the mind stone in his head and Will is hinting that that's what he's most looking forward to at this point and I have to admit I, I agree as well we saw that today and could not stop we theorizing and thinking about it but I want to know about this episode. What is it about this episode that's got you so excited and happy? Uh, chaos levels. Okay, what do you mean by that? Um, how chaotic the episode is, it's down low and then it spikes at an all-time high. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Especially well done is the heist piece where you don't really know what's going on and who's doing what. And then the double cross seems legit and then it's flipped and everybody's a good guy, which is always a great thing to see. And we get Korath's reaction throughout all of that, which makes it even funnier for us. It's like watching an Ocean's Eleven movie, and we constantly have the wise cracking sidekick comment on how exciting and unanticipated things were as they're happening. I'm going to make you have to put in a slide next time for the chaos levels. Okay, chaos levels it is. Um, yeah, I agree. There are twists and turns in this episode that I wasn't expecting, but I actually, at the end of the day, rank it higher than Captain Carter for my enjoyment and appreciation of this show and that's saying a lot because last week I, you were here you heard me rave about it and i was so overjoyed by it and then to get this i mean they just continue to raise the bar beyond heights that i could for not me, ever expect to imagine for me it's a 10 out of 15 what if episodes absolutely a 10 out of 15 whatever i'm just i'm kind of sad now i thought there was 10 found out today there was only nine i know it's renewed for a second season so that's going to be great but that's in the future and so now we only have seven episodes left no all right tell people where they can find you if they want to tell you awesome things about what you've what you've talked about today uh can they find you online anywhere you got, a, you got a Twitter account you haven't told us about? No. No? I mean, I have an Instagram account, but that's for the future. You have a future Instagram account? Yeah. I don't even know about that. Don't share it, okay? Um, but they could they could reach out to you and they, you and listen to you on Tavern Tales Jr.? Yeah. What do you, What's Tavern Tales Jr. all about? 
Um, it's about me, my sister, and a bunch of our friends playing some D&D and honestly just having a really great time while you mm-hmm. narrated and created the store, most of the story for us. But for him, one of the best and most important things to do with your young and... Um, impressionable. Impressionable. Um children if you're running a D&D game for them is always say yes it might be silly and and weird but it will help create the world and that's what happened in the first campaign where we had where we randomly went to the underdark and then Tanjika Yes, randomly went all over the world and had a great time. And that comes out every other Tuesday. The recent episode dropped on Tuesday this week, and a new other episode will be out two weeks from now. It's been coming on for four years now. And in fact, next week is its four-year anniversary for Tavern Tales Jr. We need to do something special. Uh, apparently. Uh, I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter at Tavern Tales DM. But you know what? You don't have to find me there because you could just send a message to the show or drop a comment down in the YouTube chat below or hit us up with a review on iTunes for the podcast. We would love to hear more. And Marie Claire is excited that I'm doing the hosting for this to give her a bit of a break because it's just been a nonstop torrent of content that I've been excited to present all year long. By the way, if you haven't already, drop a like down below and subscribe. Very good. Thanks, Will. And thank you. We'll see you back here next week for another exciting, exploratory, and probably jaw-dropping episode of What If. With more people. <laughs> uh, what is, what is, Mummy says, uh, cheers. <laughs>